back to Psalm 89 here. Now, remember this psalm, I believe, it was on Paul's mind as he was writing that beautiful description of Christ. Christ as the firstborn, as the creator. And we see many of those themes in this psalm as well. We saw those as we've been studying this. Um, the psalmist himself see, uh, is a man named Ethan. And we again, we don't know for sure who that man is. Only one song is designated, written by him. There may be some others he, written, he wrote under a different name, uh, Jeduthan. We're not for sure. But even uh, as Ethan is writing this song, it's obvious that he's been reflecting on Scripture, on God's promise to David. And that's really the theme of this song. Psalm is God's faithfulness, the promise, his faithful promise. Uh, all that he's going to do for Israel, his loyal love. And it really has been an encouragement, the song. I hope it's been so far. We'll go back through some of it at the end here to remind ourselves of the encouragement factor in this because it takes a twist here at the end. You'll look at verse 38, all these uh, wonderful things that Ethan, the psalmist, talks about. The faithfulness of God, God's help in David, his servant, his sovereignty, and all these things. It ends in a way that you wouldn't expect. Now remember, I, I said again that this psalm is divided into three different forms. The first part is a song, a psalm, as you would expect. The second part is um, a vision or a reminder of what God said to a particular individual oracles, so to speak, to David. And then I said this last part is a lament. Did you catch that? A lament. The end of the psalm here ends the psalmist ends sorrowing over some terrible event that has happened. And we're really not sure what has happened here. Um, the great thing, the, God, the theme of God's great faithfulness and loyalty shown through his people, through his covenant with David has been very vivid in this, but after confidently asserting God's covenantal loyalty, at the end of the psalm, it describes God's seeming abandonment of his people. Quite a surprise. Remember the confident way that the psalmist talked about God and his faithfulness. But we're going to talk about what this is and, and give more understanding. But I think here at the end of this, it's a reminder to God's people that we may at times, even though we know the faithfulness and the love of God, things come into our lives that God allows that causes us to doubt experientially. Our experience doesn't match up, in our, and it affects our emotions, and it doesn't match up what we know to be of God's Word. And aren't we glad that the psalmist also is willing to address when we have emotions and concerns because what we see is not matching up to God's word. In other words, the psalmist is very candid in saying, Lord, I don't understand. Why would you allow these things to happen? Um, and that's why we take comfort in the psalms is because we reflect and we uh, uh, relate to what the psalmist is going through. So sometimes we're going to experience doubt in God's faithfulness. But he's going to use even those darkest moments for his good purposes. I've called this tonight the prolonging of God's promise. 
And um, we're just going to have a word of prayer and then jump right into this tonight. Father, this has been a wonderful song that has proclaimed your faithfulness and love. And now here at the end, we have the same man, almost feels and sounds like a different song entirely, that is lamenting your lack, your seeming lack of presence, maybe even doubting the promises of your covenant. Or this may be perplexing to us, but at the same time, we're so glad that the psalmist, the psalms reflect what we feel, what we go through in real time. That's why they're so encouraging to us. They reflect the troubles and the strivings and the perplexities that we experience. The doubts and the wonderings. Or help us to be reminded, even at the end of this rather strange psalm, that even when it doesn't feel like you're there, you're still working. And let us have confidence in that. Even this week, as we may face unknown trials and concerns, help us to trust in you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The prolonging of God's promise. See, the psalmist has described in great detail the wonderfulness of wonderfulness of God's covenant with David. And how because of God's covenant with David. Also, those promises are true for God's people here in the Old Testament, and they can count on them because they know God has made a covenant with David, and God's always faithful. It always follows through on his covenants. But then there's some sort of dark experience that the whole seems like the whole nation is experiencing where the psalmist now sees the prolonging of God's promise. And gets very concerned. Because as we can understand, when God seems to prolong the promises and what he's, what he's promised to us, it can be dismaying. And its prolongings in these first few verses, 38 through 41, can make us feel even vulnerable. Some kind of terrible event has taken place here. It's caused the psalmist to wonder, if God has God, after exalting the praises of God, has he actually rejected them? Now, Let's think about this a little bit. We don't know, so I have to be really careful in conjecture here. But remember, one of the one of the possibilities with Ethan is that he was one of the worship leaders chosen by David, which would make sense in why he's writing these songs. Well, isn't it true then that if you think about the events of David's life, what event could cause God's people in this worship leader? to wonder if God was still going to follow through on his Davidic covenant, his covenant with David. Well, one of those might very well be Absalom's rebellion, right? As the psalmist is real, I mean, as David's literally being chased out of Jerusalem and over the Jordan River, and even the psalmist is watching all this, he's probably back in Jerusalem watching Absalom the rebel come in, and he's saying, wait a minute, I just wrote a psalm about God's faithful covenant, and now the king's out the door. <laughs> What's going on here, Lord? That may very be what he's referring to. However, there's enough description in this that we're going to see that some of it just doesn't quite fit that event or situation with David fleeing Jerusalem. And so it may very well be that this is a worship leader. Ethan is a worship leader that was living at the time of the exile. There's a lot of descriptions here that would make a lot of sense if Ethan, like Jeremiah, is watching the people literally being taken from their homeland, 
the last king, Jehoiachin, is being dragged off in chains to Babylon. And he's looking through this saying, Lord, the, the nation's gone. How are you going to follow through on your faithful covenant like this? I wish I knew more information. We'll see some clues here. But either way, something terrible has happened, and the psalmist is um, experiencing God's distance and wrath, and he's wondering, asking the Lord what is going on. And so, actually, these awful circumstances seem to have convinced the writer that God has spurned them and despises them. Let's look at verse 38. Now you have cast off and rejected. Um, that word for cast off has the idea of spurn, ignoring, a, a dislike that causes one to ignore or to um, spurn one. You've heard of the term the spurned lover, right? And that is one that, that someone doesn't have an emotion for anymore and they turn away from them. That's the description that this uh, that Ethan has. It feels like God has cast them off, that he has rejected them, that he's put them aside, that he has no more use for them. He says, you are full of wrath against your anointed. And that word for wrath, folks, is the full anger of God. Psalmist says, how can this be? Against your anointed, your anointed ones, Lord. Those are the very ones that were supposed to benefit from this covenant. How can your full wrath be on them now? He voices really the unthinkable here. That God maybe even had decided to spurn his covenant with David and violently remove David's kingship. Look at this. You have renounced the covenant. You have put aside. And, and, and God, I just spent a whole song explaining how you don't do that. You renounce the covenant with your servant. You have defiled, and we'll get back to this, but that Hebrew word can also mean, well, it does mean fatally wounded his crown in the dust. This king has been violently removed. <laughs> now, in one sense, I guess you could say that. That would fit David in some ways, although David didn't come into harm. Jehoiachin and some of the kings at the end of Judah's history were violently taken away. Regardless, it's caused this psalmist to wonder if God is still going to be faithful to his covenant, almost blasphemous to consider. And yet what he's looking around at, this doesn't match up to what he knows of God. And let's be honest, sometimes in our lives, there are things in our lives that don't match up. And we struggle. So it makes us feel vulnerable. And seemingly God's rejection of David and of Judah, of, of Jerusalem, has left Ju Jerusalem and the whole nation vulnerable. Verse 40, you have reached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. The defenses have been breached. The defenses are torn down. There's no way to protect themselves, defend themselves at all. And so who's able to come in? Well, all. All are able to pass by and plunder, just take our things from us. And he has become the scorn of his neighbors. No defense from the plunderer. And all the surrounding nations scorn them instead of respect them. In David's day, God gave him great victory, didn't he? And all gave him rest from all of his enemies. And some of his enemies turned to David's side, like we see with the Philistines and even the Ammonites in this uh, last study that we had this morning. 
But in this scenario, whatever has happened here, now the neighbors, the enemies of God's people scorn and mock. And we'll see a, a more detailed picture of that here in a few verses. Lord, we're vulnerable. We don't sense your protective arm. We don't sense your faithfulness to us anymore. And we're getting really worried. Are you still there? Well, it's prolonging the pro prolonging staying of God's promises also make us feel defeated. <clears throat> this isn't just a feeling for this author. He looks around and he sees we have no defenses at all. Verse 42, you have exalted the right hand of our foes. Remember before in the psalm, he was talking about how God would uphold the right hand of the king and, and God's people would have the power of God. And now he's at the end of the psalm saying, wait a minute, God, now you're exalting and giving power to our enemies. That's not right. That doesn't fit your covenant. You've made all his enemies. And now he seems to be purposely referring back to a particular individual, the king. If it's the king, maybe it's David. Uh, maybe if it's, you know, the people being exiled to Babylon, it's, it's Jehoiachin or Judah. Regardless, all the enemies rejoice because Israel is now helpless. And you can imagine not just vulnerable, but these people feel defeated. And you've also, verse 43, turned back the edge of his sword. And you have made him, have not made him stand in battle. As David was a mighty warrior and able to have victory over his enemies, now they're not even able to stand in battle. They're basically weaklings before their enemies. This isn't right. God, how can this be? How can we be defeated when you made promises to us? You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. He's weakened his own people so they cannot stand in battle. And if he is speaking of David here specifically, his ability to conquer his enemies has been totally reversed. And the king has lost his might and his splendor, and it seems really been thrown off his throne, dethroned. Now that would certainly fit Judah's last king, Jehoiachin. Whichever one of these scenarios is going on here, God's people, because um, God has... Um, not produced the effects and the riches of his promises in a way that they expected and probably discipline involved here. It was discipline with David, right? It was discipline certainly when God's people were taken off to exile. They're experiencing God's discipline here. So the question is, if God is disciplining his people, which would make sense, then is he going to restore them? Is he still going to remain faithful? Prolonging of God's promises is certainly dismaying to his people. Verse 45, you have cut short the days of his youth, and you have covered him with shame. The king is in shame, and the nation is in, sh in shame. And then it has that selah, which causes us to pause for a minute. And what a terrible place to pause as we think back and think, really, God, could you really allow this to happen? Well, we know times, don't we? And I just mentioned two of those. Where because of God's people's sin, God had to very severely deal with them. But in those, haven't we seen that God still has grace? And that's what this, the author of this psalm, in the end, needs to remember as he continues. But pause in the fact that it reminds of God's people 
that we don't want to rebel against God because he's all powerful and he can take away the very things that he has given us. Even that wisdom that we've talked so much about. Remember, we've seen that if we don't um, um, value God's wisdom, he can take that away from us too. But we can lose it all. We don't want to be in this position. So stay faithful to God. Don't play around with this. You don't want to be there. It will, it will be very disconcerting and terrible. Well, the prolonging of God's promise is certainly dismaying. Folks, as we see the end here, here's the grace, here's the mercy. It is temporary. But there are purposes for God's doing this. In God's correction, there are purposes for this. He's not just he's not in his anger just um, causing his people to suffer, but there's always purposes for God uh, for God's people, even in the darkest hour, whether it's their fault or not, whether they're being disciplined or corrected, or it's just something God's allowed into their life, like Job, God always has purposes for it. And one of those is to remind us that we are finite, that we only have a short bit of time on this earth. So we better make it worthwhile. And the psalmist is reminded of that as he's seeking God again. It reminds us of our finiteness, verse 46. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? The psalmist is pleading, God, reveal yourself again. Will you never come back? And, and really, in the midst of really difficult things, folks, it, it time seems to, to stand still almost, right? Or drag on. Lord, how long are we going to have to go through these things? And you can sense the psalmist's concern and his grief. How long will your wrath burn like fire? And again, there's that vivid word wrath, which means the full wrath of God upon his people. And whatever, again, this situation addresses, whatever terrible events going on here with God's people, it feels to them as if God's presence has been removed and the full intensity of God's wrath is against them. And it's unrelenting. Lord, stop. We, whatever it is, we, 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 we'll repent. We'll do whatever you want, but, but stop your wrath. And this picture of wrath and, and burning is a terrible one indeed. Remember, folks, that that's one of the reasons we proclaim Christ. I don't think the psalmist is necessarily referring specifically to eternal punishment in hell here, but there is a punishment that's coming because of God's wrath, where people will burn for all eternity. And that ought to sober us to proclaim Christ. Um, we had a situation last night, I think it's okay to, to tell this story, um, where Arden was, was talking with a friend. Uh, they had this thing called Google Chat now that they all chat together. It, it, good, good, um, kids from good Christian families and churches that have been to the wilds and they like to communicate and talk. And Arden was talking with um, a couple of them and one family had uh, one daughter that was talking and all of a sudden in the background of this daughter's scream while she was talking, she and Arden were talking, she heard a scream. And so all of a sudden she just told her, I gotta go. And she shut down the communications like, what happened? Well, come to find out, her sister had a cold and was trying to get some relief from that, from her congestion, through some boiling water. 
And then leaning over that and trying to sniff that in, she inadvertently spilled some of it all over her legs. And she was in a lot of pain. Well, when we heard that, we were praying. Arden was trying to reach out, find out what happened. And well, we've got to get her to the hospital. And they went to the ER. And uh, he continued to communicate. I contacted the parents and said, hey, we just heard about your daughter. And we're praying for her. And um, they got her the help that she needed. Um, but she, one of the things that she described was the pain was so intense because of the burn. And you can imagine if you've ever had a burn. It ended up being second-degree burns, which is bad, but it wasn't third-degree, praise the Lord. And uh, if you would remember to, to pray for Arden's friend, just to show up, be uh, encouraged in the midst of that. We'd appreciate that. But the Lord brought her through, but it wasn't a fun experience. It was awful. And the psalmist here is saying, the wrath of God upon us is awful. And it reminded Ethan about how finite, finite that they were and how short their lifespan was. Verse 47, remember how short my time is. For what vanity have you created all the children of man? He's saying, God, I realize more than ever how short my life is, and I'd really like to see your favor again and your your goodwill towards us before our lives are snuffed out because we only have so much time, Lord. We want to see your favor again in our lifetimes because it's vanity, it's emptiness to live life without you in it, Lord. That's what he's saying there. What vanity have you created all the children of men? How is life living without you in it, God? And isn't that what we ask ourselves with the unbelieving people around us as we see the world in more and more turmoil and, and the darkness around us? And we think, how can people live without God? It's so empty. It's so useless. What's the purpose in it all? And there's people that are asking that every day that need to hear of God's plan and his plan of salvation for them through Jesus Christ. Because the psalmist is right. Without God in our lives, everything's empty. It's vain. Nothing can fill the void. Verse 48, what man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? And it seems like Ethan, the psalmist here, is saying, my days are numbered and we can't wait forever, Lord. With only so much time. Right? Um, and he's saying here that all of us sooner or later will die. And all of us are facing the grave. So, Lord, please show your favor before we die. Because who can stop us from eventually entering the grave? The power of Sheol is the power of the grave. We all die, Lord. That's not going to change. So please show us your mercy. Show us your presence before that takes place. And here the psalmist continue, as God prolongs his blessing in his presence, it also causes the psalmist to long for God. And really many times when God, God allows things into our lives, folks, just to get our attention. Like we talked about this morning, we get distracted by a lot of different things, don't we? But sometimes God has to allow difficult things into our lives to remind us to look back to him. To long for him again. What do you have in your life right now that you long for that's not God? It's not wrong to love things and to enjoy things, but if they take the place of God, if they take the place of Jesus Christ in your life, 
then you're misdirected. And God may use some difficult things in your life to refocus. And the psalmist is focusing here and he's saying, Lord, I long for you. We want you back. Lord, verse 49, where is your steadfast love of old? There's that theme again of loyal love that he is proclaiming at the beginning of the psalm. And now he says, Lord, where is it? Which by your faithfulness you swore to David, your reliability, your eternal reliability. And you made an oath to David. Remember that covenant, God? I don't see how you can be faithful to your covenant in this situation, whatever it is. But we long for that. We long for you. Remember, O oh Lord, how your servants are mocked. They're really God's people. Ethan's shocked by the reversals of their situation. Again, the first, go back and read through um, the first two-thirds of the psalm, 37 verses. We don't have time to go through back through all those tonight. I'll read a few in a minute. But he is rejoicing in the character of God. And now there's this stunning reversal with these terrible events. And he says, rather than being a light to the nations, we are a mockery to the nations. They mock, they laugh at us, they hurl insults, and they laugh at God's anointed one, Lord. How can you allow them to do it? In other words, his experience, their experience is not measuring up to what they know to be true of their God. Continue to look at verse 50. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations. Lord, I take your truths to heart. In my heart, I love your character and who you are. And when I hear people mock you or mock your people, I take it personally. I take it to heart. With which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Again, the anointed ones, or I'll say the anointed one, is being mocked. Well, that would fit what David went through, wouldn't it? I think of Shimei with his curses and his rocks throwing them as David walked by. He was certainly knew what it meant to be mocked by his enemies, by the family of Saul. That would certainly fit this situation. And the psalmist wondering, Lord, when are you going to reestablish David's throne, on his throne? How's that going to happen? Their experiences, the real life situation does not match up to what they know of God's word. And folks, when that happens to you, and it will happen sooner or later, I plead with you, hang on. Continue to trust. Continue to hang on to what you know about God and spend more time in God's word, as we said this morning. Take more time to understand him, to get to know him better, so that you can be more firmly rooted and entrenched when these difficult times come, because they are hard. Now, with all of that, you have this last verse that reminds us that God will not keep his presence from us, will not prolong his promises for eternity, forever, but he will return to us. And really, it ends in a surprising fashion, right? After all this, Lord, where is your steadfast love, your faithfulness? And we're being mocked, and where are you? And then this last verse just kind of states, in the meantime, blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. We're done. That's kind of strange, right? Well, what is going on here? It doesn't fit with the context that we've just read. And there are some scholars that look at the psalm and say, well, maybe some of the scribes accidentally put a number of these things together, and, you know, this is what we have now. Well, no, folks. 
that doesn't fit with what we know of how God gave us his word. These were all put together for a purpose. So we have to figure out what that purpose is. Now, one aspect of this may be it's dutiful praise offered, even though there's not been a resolution to the terrible events that they're experiencing. Kind of like, a, Lord, I don't know where you are, but I know I have to say this. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. But please come soon. I know I have to say this because that's what God's people say. Um, some scholars think it's that. I don't think it's that. Because there's there's a triumph in this, this brief statement. And some translations, including the ESV, put an exclamation point, which is helpful, at the end of that first phrase. So it can't be, blessed be the Lord forever. You can't read it that way with an exclamation point. But it's, blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Let it be. Let it be. So what's going on here? Here's what I think happened. In the midst of whatever this terrible event is, whether it's David running from Absalom or whether it's the people being exiled and Jerusalem being destroyed and then losing their homeland. In the midst of this, I think Ethan went back and read the first parts of the psalm and reminded himself of the truths of who God is. He read the first two sections of the same psalm that he just wrote. And God reminded him that God can be counted on even in the darkest of situations. And when he remembers that, he ends with a triumphant note of praise. Thank you for reminding me of that, Lord. I just needed to read what you wrote through your Holy Spirit through my hand. And he reminds himself that God will... He will see God's presence again, that God will return even in the midst of his correction and punishment and will be will fulfill all the promises that he's given his people. So, first of all, folks, whatever you're facing that's difficult, remember, God can be fully trusted. Faithfulness means fully dependable. He's fully reliable. Don't doubt that no matter what your emotions tell you. Emotions are good things, but they shouldn't be controlling. God's word should control us. We all need that, pastor included, right? We can make some very wrong choices and decisions based on our emotions and forgetting to remember what God's word says about his character. So let's look back at the beginning of Psalm 89 here and remind ourselves of what he wrote at the beginning that would cause him to say, blessed be the Lord forever. Look at verse 1. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. And he continues on for the next 37 verses. And that's what we remember when we're going through difficult times. I've got one more thing here that I don't want you to miss. Still, there's kind of that question, yeah, but this is such a strange way to end a song, right? Well, as I was studying this, the Lord made it clear to me there's something that we don't want to miss in this. Look back through the psalm, and it will give us an even greater opportunity. Pause. This, I'm sorry, this last part of the psalm that I just that I went through tonight. Let's look back through that, starting at verse 38. 
And I'm going to show you something that will give us cause for enthusiastic praise. There's a picture here I don't want you to miss. You see these verses talk about in verse 38, you have cast off and rejected. You have full wrath against your anointed. You could say anointed one. The anointed one was rejected and faced the full wrath of God. That verse 39, you have defiled his crown. Remember what I said, folks? The Hebrew there can also mean fatally wounded or even pierced. God's anointed was pierced, fatally wounded. And we saw that his anointed was also, his splendor was taken away. Remember his days were cut short in his youth, maybe his early 30s. The enemies mocked his anointed. Is there a picture coming here? All of this then answers, I think, the question that the psalmist asks in verse 48, that even the psalmist at this point couldn't answer. Look at those questions. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? And then he had us pause, stop there. Well, what man can live and never see death? How can one's soul be delivered from the grave? How about this? God's anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, had to endure all that's described here. How could God allow his people to go through this? Well, we've got one better. We could ask, how could God allow his Messiah to face the full fury of his wrath? What's the purpose of God allowing his servant, the Messiah, to go through this? We know that, right? So God's people would never see death and be delivered from the power of the grave. There's the answer to the psalmist's question in the fulfillment of this. Really, folks, the picture here at the end is a picture of what Messiah, of what David, excuse me, what Jesus Christ would have to go through so that the Davidic covenant could be fully realized. Now, that's a good reason to say, blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And it's also, go back to verse 48. He causes us to pause. Folks, let's pause on the fact that Messiah faced the full fury of God's wrath so that we could have eternal life. That's a good place to say, Selah. Pause and remember. Father, thank you. Blessed truths in this really um, difficult psalm at the end as we wonder why would this end in such a way and yet we see the picture of what your anointed one would go through so that we could have eternal life so that we could have victory over the grave over Sheol Jesus Christ gives us power over Sheol and allows us to have eternal life Lord, we even more than this psalmist of old and God's people in the Old Testament, because we understand the mystery of Christ, we can say, blessed be the name of the Lord, even more resoundingly and more joyfully than even Ethan the psalmist could, as we know more of the full plan. Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus Christ. Let us pause and reflect this week. Whatever we face, let us see life. Pause and reflect on all that Jesus provided for us so that we have ultimate victory. We will have eternal relationship with you 
in your presence for all time. And even in the darkest of times, we should never doubt that. But thank you for this reminder. Let us be encouraged this week, Lord, as we reflect on these truths of our great Savior and be motivated to share him to a world that needs to hear the truth of the gospel. This we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.